Yeah, to, to try to win each day. Uh, look, we're not playing for five months. Improve from, from one day to the next. Uh, talked about some of the, you know, the attire and the dress that I expect them to wear in the meeting rooms. Uh, team first attitude, be a pro, which there goes, you know, there's a lot that goes into that in terms of accountability, dependability, resiliency. Didn't get too far ahead of things, Tom. It was, I'd say, a 20-minute meeting uh, to start out, and I'd say, you know, 10 minutes of those 20 minutes, you know, I'd let other people speak, trainers, strength coaches, compliant, like, it was, it was a good introductory meeting. Was that a big moment for you, Brian? Are you been waiting 20 years to get in front of, a, in front of your team? Yeah, 25. Um, yeah, so it was, it was exciting for me. Uh, but again, I know we're, we're April 4th here. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's, let's do what we can do. We got two weeks here for phase one, and let's, let's have a good phase one. And that's Brian Dayball, his first press conference as the head coach of the Giants with actual football happening. And no business suit today. The business suit is gone. Business suit season is over. Now when coaches talk to us, they'll be wearing what they always wear. It makes it feel like football. And the offseason program upon us, there really isn't that much downtime, Mike, between the Super Bowl and the start of the preparations for the next season. And that's good news for those of us who have to find things to talk about every single day. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well. I still remember back in my day, we got – $25 $25 a day to attend the off-season uh, program, and you had to go at least three days a week to collect. So you had to at least get $75 a week to get paid. You had to go three days. And uh, listen, I, I get it. I'm glad the new coaches have that extra time because you want to set your parameters. You hear Dave all talk about, you know, what, what I want him to wear here and there. I mean, that, that's all part of it. All of a sudden, when you're the head coach, you're making all those decisions. And these are guys that hadn't been head coaches before. They've been coordinators, so you control your neck of the woods, right? Now you're controlling the whole team. So everything, what you're wearing to meeting, what do you have to wear, what's your, what's your uh, clothes situation when you go on away trips, everything has to go to now these first-time head coaches who this is the first time they get in front of their players to kind of set their parameters and start their, start their careers as head coaches. And, Mike, you know, you mentioned the early days of the offseason program. Back in the day when I first started following football, it was end of the season, throw your cleats in the mudroom, leave them there until training camp, and go work another job for six months. It's become basically 12 months out of the year. But we've seen the evolution of voluntary workouts, and then the presumption became it's not voluntary. Remember last year, the players rose up and pushed back, and we've kind of forgotten about that. But I can't help but wonder whether and to what extent we're going to see players this year being urged to do the same thing that a lot of them did last year, where they just didn't show up. Remember, the union was pushing teams, players on teams that weren't heavy with contracts that have the offseason workout bonuses that are $100,000, $500,000. But we saw that last year, and Tom Brady was at the forefront of urging players to not show up. And, again, it, it was forgotten through the summer and the preseason and regular season and Super Bowl, but we're right back to that now, and it's going to be interesting to see if players are pressured by the union and by other players to not volunteer to show up this year. Well, you know, th- this is something that the coaches hated, you know, when, when the players, some of the things they wanted were starting the offseason program later and it changing, you know, with the amount you could do in the offseason program and then subsequently to training camp as well. And the coaches especially hated the part, listen, again, now, listen, back in your day when it was one job, man, are you old? Oh, my God, that's unbelievable. I mean, I was a we kid were... then. Okay. Oh, oh, I thought you said when you started work. You know, okay. No, uh, no. When I, no when, I started, when I started watching the NFL in right, the 70s right. when I was seven years old. No, no, listen, I, I'm with you. I was one of the last ones when I was a rookie that was somebody smoking a cigarette in the locker room at halftime, and I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is wild. A lot has changed. But coaches didn't like it because – of when the, when the off-season program started because they were away from especially young players. They wanted to have those players, and they wanted to, you know, get the system in them, and, and, and that's, what, that's what veteran players stopped wanting. 
it was actually pretty good for the young players to actually be with the coaches and learning the system, but the veteran players didn't want to be in that early. So this is one of the things they really fought for, uh, you know, when they could negotiate it was the terms of the offseason program. They wanted it more in their favor, and they got that. Uh, as I said, players or coaches hated it. Now at least the new coaches get a week early here, but it will be interesting, you know, uh, what players do because – when 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 I keep hating to go back to when I played, but it was different. I and a lot of people lived where you played. You lived there year-round. You know, when I was in Houston, I lived there. When I was in Philly, I lived there. When I was in Miami, I lived there. So when the off-season program started, I was like, I got to work out anyway. I'm going to go to the facility and work out. Now, guys don't really live in their cities, at least not not to the percentage that it was. So guys leave town, be it with their families, and some, you know, don't come back, you know, and, until they absolutely have to. And some of them don't want to. We used to hear about the guys at the U, you know, you know, foregoing the offseason program to their respective teams and all working out together, you know, at Miami. So it's, it is definitely a little bit, little, a little different today. And it will be interesting what the union and players kind of urge other players to do. And young players, remember, to the extent that you're listening to this and you probably aren't. But remember, remember who it benefits if you all stay away. The young players don't get the reps. The young players don't get the training. The young players don't get the experience. And it makes it a lot easier for the veterans to hold roster spots and starting jobs if the young players aren't ready to go right out of the gates. All right, we're still technically right out of the gates. We haven't gotten to the news of the day yet. And we have a trade. Although there's no human beings involved, so it doesn't feel (laughs) the same. It's just on paper. But it shows what the Eagles are trying to do. They're trying to stockpile picks in the future first rounder next year they give up the number 16 and 19 overall pick this year and get the 18th overall pick and a first rounder next year plus some other stuff a second round pick in 2024 third round pick seventh round pick they give back sixth round pick it's a pretty good deal for the eagles if they look at this and say you know what our long-term planning tells us it's better to have more picks in round one Next year, they're also kind of betting on the Saints not being very good this year. Who knows how that's going to go. But the Eagles, I think, evaluating this year's crop, understanding that they can give up one of their net first-round picks this year, kick it to next year, and then keep trying to build. And maybe next year's the year that they go all in to try to move up to get a quarterback if they decide Jalen Hurts isn't the guy based on 2022, Mike. Yeah, th- listen, this is this is long-range planning. This isn't just for this year. That You're exactly right. This is looking at what the crop is now, looking at what way we may need in the future and what's the best position if we want to make a move that we're going to be in to make a move by collecting these assets and having these assets. So, uh, And it's going to be next year for them. We'll see what they do this year. You know, they didn't need all those picks. What do they do? Well, they grab, you know, cornerback, a wide receiver. We'll see what the Saints do. You know, they're going to need a wide receiver. So we'll see where they go. But I do like this for the Eagles. I do think they have they have gotten themselves some assets that they could either use, obviously, in trades or use to, to draft actual human beings, as you said, and to, to, to see how they relate to the team. So I do like this move. I, this is good kind of forward thinking. And you have to wait and see on where that next round first pick, uh, first pick, kind of levels off for the Saints. You know, is it because right now it's like around the middle of the pack. So let's see. Are, are they banking on them not being very good and maybe being the upper half of the draft? We'll have to wait and see. And, you know, from the Saints' perspective, it's hard to read too much into it. We don't know what the strategy is here, but it feels like an effort to get impact players now, guys no. that will play now, not guys to develop. Because if you're going to develop the guy, just wait till next year and draft a guy who can step right in and play next year you're looking for guys who can come in and make a difference now they see an opportunity in a watered down nfc where the buccaneers who they're four and oh against in the regular season the last two years by the way and the rams are the best two teams there is an opening for the saints to make some noise now they've got continuity in the coaching staff even though sean payton's gone dennis allen gets bumped up dennis allen only shut out the buccaneers in prime time when he stepped in for sean payton on a sunday night last year so this tells me that this team is doing what it has to do to load the cannon now. And I suspect with picks number 16 and 19, Mike Golick, that they're going to be looking for guys who will be able to step right in and step right up and be contributors as rookies in 2022. 
Yeah, and you don't know the situation with Michael Thomas and the wide receiver. you you got a handful of guys deep that you can go here so they could probably get themselves a good wide receiver because I agree. I think they are loaded up for this year. I think if you look at the two teams, certainly, uh, like you know, we can think differently that the Saints feel they're more secure in their quarterback position. Well, be it with Jameis Winston coming off the injury on what they saw last year, then maybe the Eagles are with Jalen Hurts and might be why they're maybe setting up for next year to make a move if they feel they need to get a quarterback. If not, then, hey, listen, if it works out where the Eagles have Jalen, want Jalen Hurts to be around for a while, then kudos to them. They still have those picks and they can do whatever with them. But I, I think the Saints feel pretty secure at what they saw out of Jameis Winston. We talked about this last week, the continuity of the coaching system. Jameis Winston in seven games, 14 and three touchdowns, interceptions. So they want to hit the ground running you know, in the NFC and in this division. And, and I agree with you. They would try and get that impact player right away. Another name that we continue to monitor as it relates to the possibility of a trade, the latest player that the Seahawks say they have no intention of trading. And we know that's a deadly phrase if you're Pete Carroll. He said it with Russell Wilson a week later. Russell Wilson was gone. He said it with DK Metcalf last week. So the storm clouds are kind of out there and – People are saying that maybe there's going to be some sort of an effort. Look, you get the teams that are willing to go all in. We know the Jets tried to get Tyreek Hill, and the Jets have multiple first-round picks. If anybody's going to make a play for D.K. Metcalf, it's going to be the New York Jets. D.K. Metcalf took to Twitter today to chime in on this talk about the possibility of him being traded. We have the tweet that we're going to show here. Basically, he's shutting down this talk. The bottom line, though, is – I. How much say does he really have? Now, it seems like teams are becoming more sensitive to what players want to do. But unless it's a quarterback, right, if the Seahawks are going to trade DK Metcalf anywhere, what's he going to say about it, especially if that new team is going to pay him the kind of contract that's going to make him say, yes, thank you. Thank you for trading for me and giving me the kind of money I wasn't sure I was ever going to get. So Metcalf saying he hasn't heard anything about a possible trade. That doesn't mean it won't happen. That doesn't mean they're going to tell him about it until it happens. And that doesn't mean he's going to say no if he finds out that the team that trades for him is going to be ready to pay him big money. And, and who would make that deal if they weren't ready to pay him big money, Mike? So, you know, Seattle can sit there and say they're not in rebuilding mode, but they're in rebuilding mode, right? Call it retooling, re- whatever you want to call it. When, you're, when you, you're losing a Hall of Fame quarterback who still has years left in the league, you know, and you're, and you're starting over there and, you know, one of the greats for your organization and a Bobby Wagner, uh, who's going to continue to play, obviously, with the defending champs, the Rams. Uh, and so I get the retooling, rebuilding part, but then you have to look at, Mike, okay, what pieces do we keep, though? Because are you going to completely empty the cupboard? Because you know DK Metcalf's going to cost you some money. We know the wide receiver position has skyrocketed in price. So do you say we need to hang on to some players that we can build around, even though we know we have to pay a price? And I think that's what you have to decide. Is DK Metcalf that guy where you can shell out $26, $27, $28 million a year like the other top guys are getting and say, okay, we're going to build around this guy. We're going to keep some of the good players that we have, or are you just getting rid of them, forgetting how good they are, but understanding the price point it may be? Because DK Metcalf is 24 years old. I mean, this is almost like going back to where the, the Raiders, when they traded Khalil Mack, you know, and, and got all those picks. It's like, well, wait a minute. You drafted some guy. Some guy is living up to those expectations incredibly well, and you're getting to the point of having to pay them, and you say, ah, screw it. Let's trade him. Let's move on. And we saw Matt go to the Bears. Didn't really work out there. Now he's going to the Chargers, so we'll see. So that's what I think it comes down to. You draft a guy. If you draft somebody, and you got Metcalf in the second round, by the way, but don't you look at a guy and say, Man, second round, boy, did we hit on that one. 24 years old, and now you're going to kind of trade that away? I mean, that, that really solidifies the fact that you are starting with a clean slate and not shelling out a whole lot of money. There are teams out there now that are willing to give up the draft pick compensation and pay the player, and there are teams that are willing to trade the player and take the draft picks. That's the way to make these deals happen. There has to be a team that says, F them picks, as the Ram would say, and then there has to be a team that says, we'll gladly take those picks like the Chiefs did with the five selections they got for Tyree Kill. Lamar Jackson 
Ravens quarterback apparently hoping that his team would be in the category of those who are willing to say F them picks. Lamar Jackson, we got them guys, but you can slide too. We welcome everyone here with open arms. You definitely are one of them guys as well. Hey, Lamar, how about signing a contract to give the Ravens some cap space so they can add DK Metcalf? This would be the perfect opening for Eric DaCosta, the GM of the Ravens, to send that tweet to Lamar and say, hey, man, if you sign with us, we can knock down the cap number this year, next year, the year after, and we can absorb his contract. But I don't think the Ravens are a team that's going to make that move. I don't know that they can get the most out of DK Metcalf with the kind of offense they have. That's yeah, going to be the yeah. key, a team that really thinks they can integrate him fully and completely and get the most out of that 25, 26, 27, 28 million a year. But, you know, the bottom line is there's going to be players out there, teams out there, coaches out there that want him if he's available. And like you said, Mike, they're in re-something mode in Seattle. It's re-something, and you're wasting a guy like DK Metcalf if your best option at quarterback is Drew Locke. And I hope, on behalf of all Seahawks fans, that, and all due respect to Drew Locke, although it's far too late to say that, I hope that they have a better option than Drew Locke when week one rolls around. Yeah, I mean, if not, listen, as I've said about other teams where quarterbacks sometimes, you know, moving, you know, for that team to get back to where they want to be, it ain't going to be with the guy, the quarterback on their roster right now. And I'd say the same thing uh, with Seattle right now. Uh, and I'm with you about Lamar. I mean, Lamar, you, you can you can help not only your situation, but the team's situation the most by signing a long-term deal, as we talked about this last week, knowing what your team's cap number is going to be because you're going to be the biggest cap hit on the team, knowing what it is for the next four or five years will go a hell of a long way in knowing what you can do. But but listen, you're right. If, if DK Metcalf is truly on the block, someone's going to grab him. Someone's going to be willing to pay the money. I also agree. I don't think that's a fit in Baltimore. I know any quarterback would love a receiver like that, but I don't think that's a, really a fit in Baltimore either. But he can go and help. A whole, he could help that team, but to get your, yeah, 25 to $28 million worth, I don't know if that's going to happen in that offense, but he certainly can go help a whole lot of offenses. And if he's not going to get the money in Seattle or Seattle's unwilling to pay it, then in the, then it becomes the business move, Seattle. Okay, let's get what we can get for this guy and keep rebuilding. In Baltimore, they have an awkward situation with their quarterback not far away in Washington, D.C. They have an awkward situation with pretty much everything. Yeah. This report that came out over the weekend from A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports suggesting that someone, reportedly a former employee, Jacob Friedman, who was with the team for 24 years, that's what The Athletic has added to this, that he's the one who testified to the congressional committee that had been looking into workplace misconduct issues with Washington, has now pivoted to financial issues, and someone, presumably Jacob Friedman, detailed this scheme, this scam, this ruse that the commanders allegedly are using to funnel money that would go to the visiting team pool that gets shared by all 32 franchises, keeping it <laughs> for the commanders. Cardinal sin, picking the pocket of your fellow oligarchs. Now, look, the commanders had not, as of this morning, issued a specific response to that story they have now issued a response, possibly at our urging, because I was all over this today. If there's nothing to this, you got to be shouting this from the rooftops. you got to be threatening to sue people. Not me, please. But the people who are <laughs> telling these lies about you, and that's what they've done. There's been absolutely no withholding of ticket revenues at any time by the commanders. Those revenues are subject to independent audits by multiple parties. Anyone who offered testimony suggesting a withholding of revenue has committed perjury, plain and simple. P.S. They will also be sued by Daniel Snyder. So, Mike, I mean, this really is nuts. And it's nuts to me that it took Washington two days to say something about it. It's nuts to me the NFL has said nothing about it one way or the other. And I'm just kind of sitting back holding my breath. Popcorn's ready. It's ready. It's buttered. It's salted. And I feel like something else is going to happen here sooner than later. Uh, I don't even know what to say about the commanders anymore. But, but to <laughs> your point, to your point, if you didn't do it, I'm with you. You shouted from the mountaintop, and they absolutely did shout that from the mountaintop. But I'll also say this, that if, if that had to raise the antenna to the league, right? You know, because we, we keep wondering about all this other investigation with what that organization, and it sounds so creepy what's been going on there, and where's the investigation? When are we going to find out something? Well, if you're messing with the NFL's money, I guarantee you they're going to look at it pretty quick. Well, wait a minute. Wait, wait, you're doing What? You, you, you might be doing something illegal with, with our revenue. Wait a minute. We're going to really look into this one. They, they're just, 
I, I, and I guess we have to ultimately say, let's wait and see what an investigation brings. But that's another thing, Mike. I mean, we've learned to not really trust investigations, right? Investigations are sometimes done by their own, by the, the team that's being investigated, which seems ridiculous to do. Then is it someone other than the commissioner who has appoints people to do it? Or is it somebody independent? That's, that's kind of the bit, one of the big gray areas I see with investigations into teams and to owners, unless it's clear cut what's going on. It seems to be always that we're swimming in murky waters. Yeah, you're right, Mike. And there's always an agenda. There's always something that's potentially going on behind the scenes that you have to try to understand. And it's a moving target quite often. And it's hard to get to the truth. And like I said earlier today, this is very simple. This is this is black and white. It was either happening or it wasn't. And if it's not happening, let's hear it. If it is happening, let's see the evidence and let's have some mechanism to get to the bottom of it. The idea that there are independent audits by third parties, et cetera. I'm sure there's some way to do this if you really want to do it. If you're really determined to do it, there has to be a way to do it. The question is, did it happen? Washington has come out and said that it didn't and that anyone who would suggest otherwise under oath would be committing perjury. I still think that this is a strong enough allegation that, number one, we need to wait and see if there's anything more tangible, and number two, whether or not the NFL will do anything about it. But, Mike, I'm going to run by you. Something I said earlier today on PFT Live when we were talking about this. You almost get to a point with the commanders where there's so many allegations and so many investigations, you just kind of want to throw your hands in the air and say there must be something going on. And that's kind of what the league did with the personal conduct policy back in 2007 when Pac-Man Jones had had 10 run-ins with the cop and had and, and never gotten in any real trouble. There was always an explanation. There was always a way to avoid it. But at a certain point, you are in these controversies so many times that that in and of itself is problematic for the shield. How is any of this good for the NFL? That there's constantly some allegation, investigation, suspicion of one team and one team only, and it's always the same team. At some point, you got to take a step back and ask yourself, why is this going on? What are the deeper issues that is causing this to happen? Listen, I, I agree. You know, they always say where there's smoke, there's fire. There's smoke pouring out of every window of the facility, <laughs> right? I mean, it's pouring out, and 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 it, it's not like it's hard to look at the go, boy, I wonder if there's a fire going on in there. I mean, it just, it all does point to that. And again, you just can't throw darts and say guilty. I get there has to be an investigation. See my last comment about the murky waters of, of okay, what kind of investigation is it? And will we get the results of said investigation or when will we know there's an end uh, to the investigation? But I'm with you. I mean, it is. And, and listen, not good things either. I mean, there, there are things you kind of can can poo-poo aside in today's world. And we're in a 24-hour news cycle where we just move on to the next thing. You know, a week or so ago, it was Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. Now it's, oh, my God, not, oh, my God, Tiger might play in the Masters. I mean, that's, that's what we're all waiting for, right? We're all waiting with bated breath to see if he's – so we move on to the next cycle. But this has always been that constant with the commanders underneath, just there. Every now and then it bubbles up over the surface where we talk about it, and then it kind of goes back down again. So when will there be some clarity or ending to this? I think I think a lot of people want to know. Or, Mike, maybe there's a lot of people that just don't give a damn, that don't care. You know, I'm sure people close to the situation will care and want a resolution. But those, you know, 30,000, looking at 30,000 feet in the air may be like, eh, we don't care. We just want to watch our football on Sunday. Well, and that's the answer to the next question, Mike. Why should people care about this? Here's why you care about it. Alex Smith former quarterback in Washington last week with Rich Eisen said, you try to eliminate the noise. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of distractions. That entire organization, everything surrounding it, and obviously it's deserved. It's been flawed the last 20 years. There's a lot of stuff going on there, a lot of distractions, and it makes it difficult to kind of focus in on the football. And that was part of his gist. He was asked to follow up, does it affect the team on the field? He says, how could it not? And that's the key. When you have that much dysfunction affecting your organization, at some point, it does affect the locker room. It does affect the product on the field. It distracts people unnecessarily. It puts things in front of them that they shouldn't have to worry about as they're trying to get from Sunday to Sunday. 
That's the reality. Or is it just trying to enjoy a peaceful offseason? It's always something, and it drags down the football operation. That's why it should be a concern for all fans of the team. I, I agree, but I'll throw this then. The other way of, of is if it's not that big a concern for the team, are they making money? Because some are more concerned about the bottom line. Listen, I had an owner in Philadelphia, Norman Brayman, who was way more concerned about the bottom line than he was about the team. So if the team won, great icing on the cake, but it was about the bottom line. I don't know Daniel Snyder. I don't. I, I, you you want to sit there and say all 31 owners, I know there's 32, but it's publicly held with the Green Bay. We keep having to explain that. We, we like to say they all want to win. They all want a championship. They're all going for a championship. But let's be honest. Some of them want to make sure the bottom line is there because I guarantee you when new ideas come about, when gambling came about and it was poo-poo, and then all of a sudden it was talked about the amount of money that could go in each, each owner's pocket, all of a sudden their eyes light up. When they start hearing about network deals you know, or, or about something that doesn't bring money, you might as well be watching you know, Charlie Brown and listening to the teacher go wah, wah, wah. They don't listen. But all of a sudden when it's about a lot of money going in their pockets, they're going to listen a little more so and again i don't know that organization but some are more concerned about the bottom line and at the football aspect of it like alex smith gets hurt maybe maybe deep down they don't care maybe they're like we're going to run this organization we got people filling the stands we're making a buck here so we're all good mike that's one of the sad realities of being a football fan number one there's nothing you can do about ownership right. if ownership doesn't really care about winning. And I think a lot of these owners do look at the incremental cost of being better than just a 500 team that hangs around. You know, you put a certain amount of money in to be a team that is mildly competitive and can win as many games as it loses. How much more effort, how much more cash do you have to invest to be just a little bit better, to be a little bit better. And you do get to the point of diminishing returns. And you can end up spending a crap load of money with no guarantee that that investment is ever going to have a return in the form of the silver trophy they give out one per year of. For a lot of teams, the real measure of success is how much money is coming in versus how much money is going out. And part of the scheme, part of the scam, part of the grift is to say, we're trying to win the Super Bowl every year. That's what fills the stadium. That's what sells the merchandise. That's what gets people excited. And we all need to act like that's what we're doing while we, meanwhile, are winning every single year the real Super Bowl, the Super Bowl of stuffing the coffers with as much cash as possible. I know that's cynical. It's also realistic. Oh, it's very realistic. Anybody who doesn't think it's realistic, find out what your team, your current owner, bought their team for and go find out what it's worth today. I mean, go find out what all the NFL teams and the pro teams are worth. It is in the billions of dollars. And a lot of these guys didn't pay billions of dollars for it. There is going so far up in value. And that, that sometimes lights their eyes up more. And like I said, holding the Lombardi trophy might be a nice thing that comes along with it occasionally. But for the most part, they feel like they're holding up the cash trophy every year. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. It's been a while since the Giants have won a Super Bowl. It's been exactly as long since they've won a playoff game. Brian Dayball gets started today. What's up with Daniel Jones? We'll discuss that next on PFTPM. All right, the New York Giants getting things rolling uh, in the offseason. Is that where we are? I got myself all twisted up here. It is the New York Giants. Offseason work has begun. What am I doing? What am I, we were talking about Bobby Wagner during the break. I got yeah. Bobby Wagner on the brain. We'll talk about <laughs> Bobby Wagner coming up. For now, a guy uh, who is not playing for the New York Giants is Bobby Wagner, but Daniel Jones is. Brian Dayball is the head coach. Let's hear from Dayball earlier today talking about what Daniel Jones needs to do to improve this spring. And there's a very important reason for Jones to impress everyone in this new regime as soon as possible. Here's Dable talking about Jones. Being able to communicate effectively in the huddle or run the no-huddle operation well, um, really get to know your players and the body languages of, of each player, receiver, of the things that we're asking them to do, have some input on, on what he likes and doesn't like, and then ultimately evaluate his decision makings and try to put him in as many different situations as we can 
to teach him off of the situations that we can learn from, and hopefully he can you know retain that as we're playing. And look, it might not come up until week three of of the season, but you're trying to hit all those things uh, for the quarterback uh, to make sure that he's on point in that regard. And here's the reality. And Joe Shane, the new GM of the team, told me this at the scouting combine. They want to be around Daniel Jones, Mike. They want to get to know him this month because May 2nd is the deadline for exercising the fifth-year option. And there's been this strange dichotomy. They say all these great things about Daniel Jones. He's our guy. He's our guy. He's our guy. What about the fifth-year option? Well, we'll get back to you on that. And so the decision is going to be made this month. What they see from him, what they hear from him, what they think of him this month is the difference maker. They're supposedly on the fence. They're going to get knocked one way or the other this month by what they see and hear from Daniel Jones. They're going to pick up that option or they're not. And if they don't, it's going to make all those words, all those superlatives, all those bouquets they threw in his direction seem hollow from January. And it'll tell us they've seen and heard something that they don't really like. Well, listen, to sit here and say in the next month you can decide whether a guy should get the fifth-year option or not is ridiculous. You know, I know he's going to be in the classroom and a little bit on the field and I know he's learning a new offense, but it's going to really be tough to tell unless he just you, – you'd be able to tell one way if he can't handle the speed of what they want to do or how quickly the decisions have to be made. But I have a feeling he's going to be able to do that. So what are you going to really going to be able to tell? So, Mike, it comes down to me – so let's look at money's and a business decision. I was asking you these questions in the break. So it has to be by May 2nd, you said, correct? That they have, yes. to, they have to give them the, the, the fifth-year option. And this fifth-year option is a little over $22 million. So here's the thought process. You give him the option, and you hope he does well. And if he does well, then you can either extend him, or if nothing else, you have him next year for $22 million. If you say we're going to you know, not do the option— and he plays a great, has a great year, now he's a free agent, or you tag him. You know better than me. What's going to be the tag number for a quarterback next year? $35 million, $34 more? I, I don't really know. But it's going to be a, it's going to be So it's going to be about $12 million more than if you just gave him the fifth-year option. Now, of course, the other side of that is he doesn't live up to the expectations you want. And now you have a Baker Mayfield situation where Baker's on your team, you don't want him on your team, and you owe him 18.8. So those are kind of the options and business decisions you're dealing with. The Bears went through this a couple of years ago with Mitchell Trubisky. Right. They chose not to pick up the fifth-year option. Let's see how he does in his fourth year. And if he plays really well, that falls into the good problem to have category because then we have to either sign him or use the franchise tag to keep him around. So that's the argument against using the fifth-year option on Daniel Jones. Hey, if he plays great, we still have a way to keep him from hitting the open market. If you use the fifth-year option, yeah, $22 million in change, that's not high-end quarterback money. You can no. justify that, but then you potentially get yourself into the same kind of mess that the Browns are in with Baker Mayfield, the Panthers with Sam Darnold, although they're, they're sending out the signals that yeah. – He's going to be the starter week one. I don't buy it. That's just please don't leapfrog us with the sixth overall pick in the draft and take the quarterback yeah. we'd like to take. Right. But but that's the downside. If you show that faith in Daniel Jones, you may be out 22 million next year. It's a hell of a gamble. But just the fact that they're equivocating on it. And this was as of a month ago. What's changed in the last month? They haven't gotten to work with him yet. But that's what Shane right. told me as to the reasoning, because it's like I can't reconcile this. You say you love him. You say he's your guy. Why aren't you picking up the option? So my guess is he really has to screw it up. Like, he has to show up drunk. He has to – I mean, I, and I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, but it has I to know. be something yeah. like that where they're like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? So if they don't pick up the fifth-year option, they must have seen something this month that they found extremely alarming, Mike. I completely agree, and and I'll I'll kind of use it like a pro day. Rarely do you see a guy on pro day in shorts and a t-shirt screw something up really bad. So one thing, Daniel Jones. Listen, from a quarter, just purely blinders on quarterback, what I see, I would not give him the fifth year option because I'm not sure about him. But again, this had, there, there are a few more as we pointed out options in this business decision. I don't have any doubt in my mind 
that this guy will look good in the next month picking up the system, talking about what he sees at the whiteboard or what he sees on film, because that's all they can do. That's all they can do. To think you can get a realistic view of what Daniel Jones will do in this new offense is ridiculous. You will not. That's why I completely agree with you. He would have to so screw it up to where they've already said he's our guy that all of a sudden to say, no, we're not picking up the fifth-year option. Then just prepared for que- be prepared for question after question. Well, what would you see in the last month? Why was he your guy and now you're not picking up the option? You're installing a new, new uh, system. What didn't he get? I mean, it would just become a mess. So I'm with you. I think he will look plenty good enough in his shorts and T-shirt and get ready for the and, – and listen, maybe he'll thrive in this offense. We don't know, but that's, that's the whole gist of this conversation is we don't know. Daniel Jones showing up today for the start of the offseason program, presumably sober. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm kidding. Here he is talking about this fifth year yeah. option that is hanging over him between now and May 2nd. Yeah, I think, you know, those things will, uh, you know, there'll be a time and, and place for, for those conversations. Um, you know, so we'll see and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll take care of that. We'll do that when it, uh, when it comes up. But, uh, you know, I'm focused on what we're doing here, uh, you know, preparing and, and taking advantage of every day we have here together. It's funny. There's no conversation to have. They're going to pick it up or they're not. No. I mean, there's no – unless they decide that they just completely love him based on one month and they want to extend him, but that's not going to happen either. There's no conversation. On or before May 2nd, hey, Daniel, we're picking up the option, or hey, Daniel, sorry, we're not picking up the option. That's it. It's not a conversation. It's a message. Nothing more. It's a, it's a one-way conversation is what it is. We're going to tell you what we're going to do, and then if we don't pick it up, you're probably going to ask, okay, what do I need to do? And we all know what you do. We all, everybody knows what this situation is, right? Is, and it always happens with a new head coach. It's a new system. We know Dayball's system. We saw what he was doing with this system uh, with the Bills, and it worked phenomenal you know, with, with Josh Allen. So – We'll see. That, that's what we're all waiting for, but we're not going to get any return on if we make the investment or don't until we start to see live action in live games. Right now, it, you're it, right. There is no conversation or it's a one-way conversation. And Daniel Jones has to say, okay, either way, I mean, Daniel Jones is going to go play, right? Because if he gets it, then he knows he has at least 22 mil coming next year. If not, he knows he's playing to be a free agent, or if he plays well enough, probably get an extension or tag. So either way, you know, he's playing for an awful lot. I remember a generation or so ago when Tom Coffin became the head coach of the Giants, he spoke of injuries being a cancer to the team, and he was determined to eradicate injuries. I think someone must have reminded him at some point. It is football, and injuries do indeed happen. Here's Brian Dayball, the latest new head coach of the Giants, talking about his plan for preventing injuries for his new football team. Um, but we've, we've, had, we've had plenty of meetings in that regard. Uh, you know, went back the last few years and, and take a look at it. You look at, you know, how you schedule practice, how you ramp guys up when they get here for phase one to phase two, uh, the hydration portion of it, the teaching aspect of it. Uh, we've looked at really all the areas that encompasses injuries. Uh, you're never guaranteed. Uh, but we're certainly going to try our best to make sure that our players are as healthy as they could be for us on Sundays. You know, here's the reality. Injuries do indeed happen. Some teams have more than others. Is it bad luck? Is it bad training? Is it bad preparation, bad nutrition, bad stretching, bad this, bad that? Anytime there's a cluster of injuries over an extended period of time, you just have to wonder what's going on. Because every weekend, there are guys who get pretzeled in unnatural ways, and they pop up and they keep going. And it's an amazing feat when you see it happen. Some guys get injured when that occurs. And different teams have different methods. And I think it is important, Mike, to always be willing to take a step back. Even if you're not suffering the cluster of injuries. Even if you've gotten lucky. What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? How can we improve? to allow our guys to better endure the physical demands of playing football at the highest possible level. So, so I know a lot of people will kind of chuckle, you know, and say, talking about preventing injuries, yeah, this is a, it's a collision sport. Every single play, it's a car crash. 
You can't. And, and, he's, and, and you heard him, Dave. I'll say it's nothing's guaranteed. You can't. There are some things that are going to happen, but you can see tendencies uh, on how, how the lifting is going, the running is going, the stretching is going, the hydration is going, especially with soft tissue injuries, hamstrings, quads, calves, you know, those kind of things. If you see a rash of those, you start to look at how are we preparing. And also guys today from that standpoint are taking so much better care of their body than years ago from nutrition, from the, from the food you're eating, from the shakes you're drinking, from what else you're drinking, um, to taking care of your body. You know, with either flexing or, or, or you know, um, um, stretching with massage therapy, with all the different things that the players are doing today, they, they truly to to invest. The you hear some players, I spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on my body. Well, yeah, that that's your tool right now for work, man. So you need to invest in that, and it's smart for coaches to look at what strength coaches are doing and what the entire system is doing, and keep an eye on an injury. When did it occur? How did it occur? You know, was it a guy just took a wrong step and blew a knee out? Well, there's not a whole lot to that, right? There are some where you just chalk up to it's football, it's bad luck, a guy catching a helmet out of the side of the knee, things like that. But it is definitely something to look into, and there is definitely trends you can see. The hydration is such a critical aspect of it, especially when it comes to the soft tissue injuries. And I've heard the stories told about by the Patriots of the first wave, their first dynasty, three Super Bowl wins in four years, and how the competition among the players extended to competing to see who could drink all their water the fastest and who could stay properly hydrated. They competed about everything, including these little things that you need to do to avoid cramps, muscle pulls, things that aren't a byproduct of the car crash, things that are a byproduct of just running and changing directions and being out there on your feet in hot, humid weather all day long. I tried to prove everybody wrong and, and, and say beer was great hydration, and I found out it wasn't, Mike. <laughs> so anybody out there thinking that that's the way to hydrate, it is not. you got to have that water in between. <laughs> um, the Giants uh, to keep their fans from drinking excessive beer on draft night, trying to find somebody who will come in and make a difference. Here's Brian Dayball addressing the plans, and it's the age-old question of drafting for need versus drafting the best available player. Let's hear it from Coach Dayball. Ideally, we're going to try to select the best player available. Uh, you know, we're we're going to start our meetings uh, with the scouts here toward the end of the week. With, with the coaches' evaluations and, and the rankings of the players the way we see it and, and sit down with the, the scouting department and Joe and their staff and, and talk about it. And at the end of the day, Ralph, you, you know, you, you set the board and, you know, we've always, let's, let's draft the best available player. Let's not reach for a position just because it's a position of need uh, to build our roster. First of all, great move by Brian Dabo. He's learning from the Sean McVay School of Name Repetition of reporters, Ralph. Ralph Vacchiano, undoubtedly <laughs> the only Ralph on the beat. Say the name. Say the name of the person. Makes him feel good. Makes him less likely to come after you when you stink and lose games. So smart move by Brian Dabo. But, look, we hear this all the time. Best available player. But your, your best available player is motivated in some level by what your needs are. Right? If you're set at quarterback, if you've got Patrick Mahomes, the best available player when it's time for the Chiefs to draft is not going to be a quarterback. So there's always an influence. There has to be an influence of what you need when you assess who the best available players are. No one ever wants to be perceived as desperate and reaching for a player. But your assessment of the players is always driven, Mike, by what you need to make your team better. I, Mike, this is one of the comments that I, I don't understand. I understand it to a point. Because if your need, if the player you want for your need is ranked like 30th and the best player where you're picking at number, what, five, you know, you, you may, I may understand then you're taking the best player available then. But I mean, for the most part, if, if the player you need is the 10th ranked player or the 12th ranked player and you're picking at four or five, I mean, I'm going with who I need then. That's still ranked high enough for me to that I'm picking the need that I need on this football team. So I, I that that one, there's got to be a level there of, of of why you do it and why you don't do it instead of just saying I'm taking the best player available over need. And and really, if 
your best player available slash need is so far down the list of the your your objective evaluation. That's when you trade down. That's right, when you find right, a way out right. of that pick and you move down. All right, we're going to move on. When we return, Bobby Wagner being introduced today as a member of the L.A. Rams. We'll tell you some of what he had to say when PFTPM continues right after this. Bobby Wagner signing his contract with the Los Angeles Rams. It took a little while for it all to get buttoned up, but buttoned up it is. We've been awaiting the numbers here, the real numbers. Five years, $50 million, not the real numbers. I've heard that it may be one year, $6.5 million, with maybe $3.5 million guaranteed next year. But you know what? If the Rams cut him after this year, they're going to get the offset because somebody's going to pay him $3.5 million minimum somewhere else next year. But we'll get the full numbers and have them reported, Mike. But that look, hey, Five years, $50 million is great if you can get it, but it's like saying Von Miller got six years, 120 right, from the right, Bills. Right. There's a lot of funny money in there. No, listen, I agree. You look at all his contracts when he first went to Seattle, four for $4 million, then four for $43 million, then three for $54 million, and now, as you said, five for 50 and we'll find out what the real number is. But what a position he's in. Listen, he's won a Super Bowl, been to some Super Bowls, had great success, so well-respected around the league. I still can't believe how it ended in Seattle. It amazes me the lack of friggin' communication that teams have for players uh, or any, in anything that you can't communicate to people what's going on. But now he's a guy who had, who had choices on where he wanted to go. I know a lot of people looked at maybe Dallas and his old coach in Seattle, Dan Quinn, you know, going there. But now he's going on a team that, you know, you want to talk about all levels. I mean, from Aaron Donald and company on the line to him at linebacker to Jalen Ramsey in the secondary, I mean, to try and repeat. And he's he's staying out, out, out west, you know, in the nice weather. So he was in a very nice position to make some choices. It is six and a half million. For one year, I'm looking at the actual contract now. Somebody sent it to me. It's the actual contract. It's $6.5 million for the first year, uh, and it's year-to-year options after that. Now, there may be some guarantee in the future years, but, again, that guarantee is easily easily offset if he goes somewhere else at $3.5 million. Um, he, he addressed the excuse given by the Seahawks for not personally calling him to tell him he was going to be released. He found out third-hand, which is kind of weak, to say the least. They said it was because he represents himself. He said, I feel that was weak. It's easy to pick up a phone and call. And, yes, it is. Just because he represents himself doesn't – I mean, the agent would get a phone call, right? Somebody's finding out before the guy gets released. The idea that he finds out through other means, Mike, that, 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 was, that was a bad move by the Seahawks, and I expect better from them based upon the standard they've set the past decade. That you use the word, he used the word weak. I use the word embarrassing. Frickin' embarrassing is what it is. Yeah, you'd like communication in any line of work, whether you've been there a year or 20 years. You'd like communication, and, and I guess sometimes it can't be if the guy hasn't been there that long. But that even a guy who's been there a year finds out a certain way, doesn't he? Either he gets told or the agent is told, right? I mean, that, that, that the guy's been cut. Bobby Wagner's done so much for your organization so well-respected. And this is how he finds out through a third party? Embarrassing, Seahawks. Absolutely, positively embarrassing on your part. Uh, He also said that, as to the notion that he specifically picked a team in Seattle's division, I don't have that much hate in my heart. But he also addressed playing the Seahawks twice a year. That's the cherry on top. I'll make sure they know where I am. It won't be a quiet game for me. But he he has no hate in his heart. But other than that, other than that, he looks forward to playing the Seattle Seahawks twice per year. And who knows, maybe a third time in the postseason. Mike, I've said this about every player, whether it's amicable or not. And most times it's not really amicable when you leave a team. When you go play that team, and now he gets them twice, there is always, always something a little extra that goes on inside of you that says, you didn't want me anymore. You didn't need, felt you didn't need me anymore. And here I am making a whole lot of noise on the field against you. There is no doubt there will be no needed extra motivation on those games for one Bobby Wagner. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Monday edition of PFT PM when we return right after this. Come on. 
All right, we're back. Fill in the blank time to wrap up this Monday edition of PFTPM. We were commiserating about the details of the Bobby Wagner contract. Didn't realize the show was back on. So you may have heard <laughs> some of that. Sorry about that. I'll be writing a full post at PFT about the ins and outs of the Bobby Wagner contract. There Look, you go. I don't want to get too far down this path, but sometimes it pays to have a good agent. Bobby Wagner represents himself. All right, Baker Mayfield will be the quarterback of the blank in 2022. We've had some time to let this settle in. What's your gut feeling right now, Mike? I'm going to say the Cleveland Browns because Deshaun Watson's going to get suspended. So I, I'm. it's going to be real interesting. I kept thinking Seattle or Carolina. I know a lot of people have, but I'll, I'll be a little crazy here, and I'll say he stays with the Browns, and they use him until Deshaun gets back. This prediction comes mainly from my overriding desire to have chaos, and nothing would be more chaotic and Baker Mayfield being cut by the Browns and going straight to Pittsburgh. It's a quick trip. Uh-huh. Don't have to spend much on the Mayflower moving van to get from Cleveland to Pittsburgh. And I just think that that, that would be awesome. And that would really add even more fuel to a rivalry that's already pretty good. And it's gotten better because the Browns have gotten better in recent years. Speaking of the Browns, former Cleveland receiver, most recently with the Rams, Odell Beckham Jr. He will sign with the who, Mike Golick. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he's not going to get a ton of money somewhere, so it's got to be with a – I'll say, let's go with Tampa Bay. No. <laughs> hey, uh, t- hey. Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Yes. Sims talked about that earlier today. The longer the Rams wait, the greater the chance Tom Brady's going to get on the phone and say, come play here. Yep. We can't pay you much, but you can win another ring. You can go back-to-back with two different teams. Uh, listen, I agree, and I know he's coming off the injury. I get that, but, the, you know, this is when you load up. You know, you load up on a team where that, that just got a, that got a quarterback. And, and I say they did get a quarterback because Tom left and then came back. So you find that team that has that really good quarterback and say, okay, let's go there for a year. I'm going to say the Rams just because now that we see the details of the Bobby Wagner deal, and it really isn't five years, 50 million, but one year, six and a half, with a team-held option for every year after that, they can afford – that, that's that. how yeah. they get by when no. the, the salary cap, the, the deal isn't anywhere close to what they lead you to believe it is. That's how they can carve out some cap space and some cash for OBJ. All right, the most intriguing draft press prospect to me, and it's only 24 days away. It's really coming up quickly this year. Most intriguing prospect to you is who, Mike? Oh, my gosh. Um, wow. Boy, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna... to. I'll give you one. Go I'll ahead. start with one. Because he had some comments over this week, over the weekend. He had his pro day. Kayvon Thibodeau, the pass rusher from oh, Oregon. Oh, right, right. Very big believer in his abilities. There's a lot of chatter out there that he takes playoff. He doesn't play hard all the time. Where's he going to land? He's, got, he's already got the pre-built chip on his shoulder. I'm fascinated to see where he lands and, and what that does to kickstart him. Sometimes a guy needs a little, a little humility from sliding on draft day to find himself, you know, at a higher yeah. level of motivation. And I, I think I'll go quickly with Malik Willis. We know about the strong arm, but again, from Liberty, smaller college, how quickly can he assimilate to the NFL? Quickly, the show is over. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Have a great evening.